The following podcast is a deep, shallow dive production. Okay, let's go. I want to read something to you, this quote. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support the bolstering of Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy, to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians in the West Bank. That was Prime Minister Netanyahu in 2019, supporting Hamas, because he knows that as long as Hamas remains there, he can always argue that there is no partner for peace. All right, I'm not even kidding. You ever see the movie Goodwill Hunting? It's actually one of my favorite movies of all time. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they wrote it. It's kind of what put them on the map. I believe it was like 1997, something like that. It actually inspired me to write my own screenplay, which is true. I did write a screenplay. It was called The West Side. <laughs> Needless to say, it never amounted to anything, but I still have it. I might have to resurrect that. But anyway, in Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon's character was like, you know, he was like a mathematical genius, kind of like a mathematical savant, but he was also like a, you know, kid from the streets, no real future ahead of him and all that. And he was the janitor at this school. And then in the opening scene, it's kind of like all these numbers are sort of floating in the air and he basically sees them all. And so yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine and honestly, we were kind of on the, on different sides of, of, of a few different things, to be honest with you. And it caused me to start doing a bunch of research. I literally stopped working (laughs) and I started doing all this research. And so I'm going to share some stuff with you today. Again, more than anything, this is, this is me thinking out loud and then this is you listening and seeing if it makes sense, especially if you've been following really the podcast and, and, and my coverage on this and really my coverage in general on things, you know, I honestly want to see if this, this thought process and this, this train of, of logic makes sense to you because it's really starting to make a lot of sense to me. And, you know, God, this situation is so convoluted and it is so complicated and it is so unbelievably just entangled with so many things. And I don't think that's by accident. I really don't. I don't think that that has just been the way it's played out. You know, obviously I think things mutate and they take on a life of their own. But I do think that, you know, certain broad brushstrokes have attempted to be painted with this. And so I'm going to replay that, that little speech that the EU parliament lady played at the beginning. And now again, remember, this goes along my other thoughts um, from a previous episode where I said, you know, this is this is a woman delivering that speech in front of 800 of her peers in a European Union parliamentary session. And so, again, if nothing else, she's not making that up. You know what I mean? She's not going to make that up talking in front of a a her parliament and all of her peers. And so what 
she was saying about Netanyahu supporting Hamas in order to cause a division and fraction between Hamas and then the Palestinian Authority. So let me let me take a step back and try and explain this because we have not really talked about anything related to the West Bank of Palestine. We've really all we focused on is Gaza. And when we talk about Gaza, we talk about Hamas, which is the, you know, it's it's the military group that basically runs runs Gaza. On the West Bank, and again, for those of you maybe that are new joining us or just to refresh your memory, when you think about the West Bank and Gaza, picture picture the state of California and then the West Bay, I'm sorry, Gaza is going to be like Orange County, San Diego. You could even think of it as like Los Angeles into Orange County into San Diego. Basically, that that corner in the bottom left of the state of California. And then and then the West Bank, think of that as uh God, I hate this expression, catty corner or is it kitty corner? Hold on. Turns out it is catty corner. Catty corner means diagonally opposite someone or something else. For example, you might say our offices are next to the bank and catty corner from McDonald's restaurant. There you go. So think of it as diagonally opposite. So the West Bank is diagonally opposite from Gaza on the other side of Israel. So you have a tremendous amount of land in between the two. Okay. And again, I think that was done on purpose. They didn't want it to be one big landmass. They wanted to divide it into two sections. And so when you think about the West Bank, and again, we haven't talked about it yet. The only thing I've mentioned so far is that it's referred to as the occupied West Bank, which basically means Israeli settlers have you know, have started to try and occupy the West Bank and take land from the Palestinians. Again, put that on pause a second. We'll have a, we'll have a really in-depth session on that. But for now, the main thing I want you to understand is the West Bank is and has been run by this guy named Mahmoud Abbas, A-B-B-A-S, a boss. And he is, he is a boss. And so I think him and Netanyahu are in cahoots. I really do. I think the Palestinian Authority, which runs the West Bank, and Netanyahu, who is very right-wing. Remember, you're talking about Israeli Trump. You're talking about a guy that's super, super on the right. I think there could be some monkey business going on with the two of them. And again, I'm going to lay this all out and, you know, see if, see if it makes sense or not. But listen to this. This is from 2005 and it was on NPR. So obviously, you know, you've got to give credibility to it because if you're going to believe any real mainstream media, you know, NPR seems like, seems like the likely candidate especially NPR in 2005. So listen to this. 
From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Robert Siegel. And I'm Melissa Block. Now that Israel has withdrawn Jewish settlers from the Gaza Strip... Sorry, really quick. Just remember, this clip is from 2005, okay? This is not this is not present day. I didn't want anyone to get confused. This is 2005 NPR. The quartet, that is, the U.S., the European Union, Russia, and the U.N., is looking for the next step in the Middle East peace process. NPR's Corey Flintoff reports. The peace efforts are complicated by the fact that both Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon and Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas face upcoming elections. All right, you know what I am going to going to chime in here. So 2005, Mahmoud Abbas, that dude is still in power. He's the one running the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. And then at the time, it was Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, who was who was more liberal Democrat side. They both face challenges. Sharon from right wing leader Benjamin Netanyahu and Abbas from the Islamist militant group Hamas, which has been making political gains in recent months. Shucky ducky quack quack. Let's listen to that again. They both face challenges. Sharon from right wing leader Benjamin Netanyahu and Abbas from the Islamist militant group Hamas, which has been making political gains in recent months. Robert Malley is the Middle East program director at the International Crisis Group. Oh my God, I literally did not piece that together until I just heard it as I was listening. So, Robert Malley, who they say is the crisis coordinator, that dude literally is still involved to this day in Middle Eastern politics. Most recently, he was the guy that was the United States envoy to Iran during all that Masa Amini, all that women, life, freedom, political uprising over the past year and a half. And that dude is shady AF. AF. He says the most important thing the U.S. can do right now is prevent negative things from happening. For the Palestinians, that means refraining from violence. And there's uh, there's at least a fair likelihood that Palestinians are going to be tempted to move their, their violent actions from Gaza to the West Bank, focus on the West Bank, and try to keep Gaza calm. And we know that if that happens, uh, the likely Israeli reaction may, may undermine everything that's happened including with the positive that's happened in Gaza. Okay, let me let me make sure you guys understand something cuz actually this is another honestly enormous enormous like tent pole of of information/misinformation out there. So in 2005 when Israel withdrew from Gaza, you'll hear that a lot where they'll say, you know, we we gave Gaza, we gave Gaza to the Palestinians in 2005. We completely got every Israeli out of there, which they did. They absolutely did. But what they don't talk about is that was only 8,000 Israelis. So in 2005, when Israel quote unquote gave Gaza to the Palestinians, they basically moved out 8,000, it's like anywhere from eight to 9,000 Israelis, and they left 1.5 million Palestinians. Well, let me see what percentage that is. So that's a half a percentage. So think about it. That's not even 1% of the population in 2005 living in Gaza that was a Israeli. 
that was, or Jewish, whatever you want to say it, it was a half a percent. Okay, let me read you a couple of things. Man, this is this is good stuff. So this is a Reuters article from 2005. It says a decade, no, I'm sorry, this was from 2015 was when the article was written. And it says a decade after the Israeli unilateral withdrawal of around 8,500 Jewish settlers from the Gaza Strip, the legacy of that August 2005 quote-unquote disengagement still provokes angry debate in Israeli society. Okay, so that's Reuters from 2015. Now, why does it provoke angry debate? Let's go to The Guardian and get that answer. And according to The Guardian, it says, Israel failed settlers evicted from Gaza in 2005, report says. Commission of Inquiry criticizes government for not rehousing 8,500 settlers evicted when Israel withdrew from Gaza. The 488-page report to the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was damning of the bureaucracy and delays surrounding the rehabilitation of those evicted from Israel's withdrawal from Gaza in 2005. For Israel, Mali says the big negative is settlement expansion, especially around Jerusalem, and building a barrier that would encompass a large part of traditionally Arab East Jerusalem. David Makovsky is the author of a recent study on the Gaza withdrawal called Engagement Through Disengagement. He says the U.S. should press for a return to the first phase of the Middle East roadmap to peace, which calls on the Palestinians to deal with terrorism and the Israelis to deal with settlements. But he also says that the quartet should focus on making a Palestinian-ruled Gaza work. All right, so check it out. And, and again, this is like we're piecing it together as we go. So 2005, Israel withdraws from Gaza, right? They bring out the 8,000 Israelis settlers, and it looks like they didn't even take care of them or hook them up with housing. So that's not cool. And again, this is now under Netanyahu's watch, right? And then from there, this is where the concept of the open air prison of Gaza starts. Now, remember, you've got anywhere from 1.5 to 2 million Palestinians still living in Gaza. And then this is when they basically built a, a fence around Gaza and and again, look this up. This is all documented. Israel literally controlled controls everything that goes in and out of Gaza. This is why they call it an open air prison. If you've if you've been following this at all, every time they talk about Gaza, whether it's Obama or whether it's you know some advocate, I'm going to play something f uh, from you or for you from. Cynthia Nixon, the, the gal from uh, Miranda Hobbs from Sex and the City, she's she's Jewish and came out like is launching some hunger strike in D.C. with a bunch of other people. And again, whatever to to each their own, how they how they feel about this. But the, the clip, the clip is actually pretty good. So I'm going to play that. But again, this is why you hear the term open air prison for when they describe Gaza, because once they took those 8,500 out, they basically turned Gaza into this open air prison where they controlled everything. And again, this is under Netanyahu's watch. 
And remember, on the other side, you've got you've got Mahmoud Abbas running the West Bank and then under the Palestinian Authority. And if you remember, let's listen to the first clip again. I want to read something to you, this quote. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support the bolstering of Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy, to isolate the Palestinians in Gaza from the Palestinians in the West Bank. That was Prime Minister Netanyahu in 2019, supporting Hamas, because he knows that as long as Hamas remains there, he can always argue that there is no partner for peace. So as long as Hamas stays there, he can argue there's no partner in peace. And now you start thinking about all the money that gets sent, $3 billion a year to Israel, building of the Iron Dome, all that cash. I'm going to play something for you to make you realize how intertwined politics and money is. But first, this. If you're a Palestinian and you live in Gaza, you're just you're just stuck. You're stuck forever. And that's why these people are like people from America. They're like, why? You know, that's why you have this mantra like, oh, they want to die. They raise their kids to be suicide bombers. No, when you're in Gaza, you are born dead. That was a gal named Abby Martin. She's awesome. She has a lot of great content and is very well versed. I think she lived in Gaza or definitely was in Gaza for a long time, but that was her on the Joe Rogan show. And that was either three or four years ago. Okay. So as we piece this together, okay, remember, here's where we're at. We've got Netanyahu running Israel. You've got Mahmoud Abbas running the Palestinian Authority. And by the way, here's something I literally just thought of as I was saying that. Wouldn't you think that the Palestinian Authority, who runs the West Bank, and Hamas, who runs Gaza, like, why would they not be best of friends? That'd be like saying Los Angeles and San Francisco, or Cleveland and Cincinnati, let's say Cleveland and Cincinnati or LA and San Francisco were up against the state of Indiana or the state of Nevada. And they were at like a bitter war with, with the adjoining state. So why would the two parties within the state that are totally aligned, why would they not be working together? Seriously? God, I just thought of that. Why would they not be working together? That doesn't make any sense. You would think that these two parties, you know, they're, they're greater and actually not even their greater enemy because they're not supposed to be enemies with each other. There's no reason that, you know, it's not like Shi'i and Sunni Muslim. Both of them are Sunni Muslim. The entire, you know, the people are the same. There's no beef between the West Bank and Gaza. There's no, there's no beef there. They're one team, but why are they not working together against, you know, the enemy of Israel? Dude, this stuff, man, it is four-dimensional chess. There's a lot more than meets the eye. There really is. Okay, so the way I'm seeing it is it basically started the... Let's say, let's say for argument's sake that Netanyahu 
and the Palestinian Authority, so Mahmoud Abbas, let's say these guys have a, a backdoor backroom deal, right? And they're like, okay, let's let's make Hamas the enemy. Let's make Hamas the big bad, the boogeyman. But you and I, we're going to work together and we're basically, you know, we'll, we'll give you certain concessions in the West Bank back to 2005. Remember, now we're going back to 2005. Could that of could that have led to this? I should say. So this is 2005. Last week, U.S. envoy David Welch announced that the U.S. was giving 50 million dollars directly to the Palestinian Authority as part of a package of about 300 million dollars in economic aid. So 2005, U.S. gives 50 to 300 million to the Palestinian Authority. Again, your boy Mahmoud Abbas in 2005. That's that's pretty nutty. All right. So again, for argument's sake, let's pretend that from 2005, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority guy, leader of the West Bank, and Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, let's pretend they were in cahoots. You know, I don't know if the United States is in on it or were they kind of pulling the wool over our eyes in order to get that 50 to 300 million for the Palestinian Authority. As we've talked about many times, the U.S. gives around 3 billion every year to Israel. So was the U.S. privy to this or was it these two guys behind the scenes being like, hey, let's make Hamas the enemy and then we can each continue to get some money. I don't know. I don't know. That's just a working theory. Okay, so now let's fast forward to a 2018 MSNBC interview from Mehdi Hassan. Mehdi's been on a been on the Deep Shallow Dive a couple times. Again, MSNBC in 2018. Whatever you thought of them during the COVID stuff, this is before all that. So peep this out acts of terror against Israeli civilians. And Israeli and American leaders are always keen to tell us how dangerous and evil Hamas is. The inhumanity of Hamas. I have no sympathy for Hamas. That keep shelling Israel with thousands of uh, rockets and uh, mortar shells. But what if I told you that Israel helped create Hamas? Officially, Hamas, which is the acronym for an Arabic phrase meaning Islamic resistance movement, was founded in 1987 at the start of the first Palestinian Intifada or uprising against the Israeli occupation. See, the Israelis, especially right-wing Israelis... Sorry, quick chime in. Right-wing Israelis. Anytime you hear that, just think Netanyahu. ...wanted to undermine the power of the dominant Palestinian political force at that time, the nationalist PLO, at the heart of which was the secular Fatah party of Yasser Arafat. All right, so another quick chime in. PLO, Yasser Arafat, we're going to deep dive into him in an upcoming episode. But again, that ended up becoming the Palestinian Authority and Mahmoud Abbas took over for Yasser Arafat. Their bete noir. Israeli leaders thought they could divide and rule the occupied Palestinians, play them off against each other, secular nationalists against religious Islamists. So again, even then, when it was the PLO before the Palestinian Authority, you know, don't get hung up on all those words. It's so confusing. But basically, they, the right-wing Israeli leadership, Netanyahu, wanted to divide up 
the PLO, which became the Palestinian Authority, which is the West Bank, and then Gaza, run by Hamas. Most American politicians have no clue about any of this, although the former Republican Congressman Ron Paul once made this point on the floor of the House. Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. Arafat himself told an Italian newspaper, quote, Hamas is a creature of Israel. He even claimed that former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin admitted as much to him, calling it a fatal error. Now, you might be wondering, why should I believe mad? Ron Paul or the famously shady Yasser Arafat. Well, you don't have to. You can believe top Israeli and US officials who've basically owned up to all this. Brigadier Yitzhak Segev, for example, who was the Israeli military governor in Gaza and later told a New York Times reporter that he helped finance the Islamic movement. The Israeli government gave me a budget, he said, and the military government gives to the mosques. Colonel David Hakam, who worked in Gaza in the late 1980s as an Arab affairs expert in the Israeli military, has admitted that the original sin was Israeli support for Yassin in the late 70s. But at the time, he has argued, nobody thought about the possible results. Well, Avner Cohen did. Cohen was the Israeli official who was responsible for religious affairs in Gaza for more than two decades, and who now says, quote, Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation. Yeah. Cohen's words. The inconvenient truth is that Hamas is in part a creature of Israel's own making, an enemy that Israel spent more than 20 years helping to build up, and then spent the next 20 years, the past 20 years that is, trying to bomb, besiege, and blockade out of existence. All right, so that's a fact set. You know, I don't know everything, but I do know this. And as usual, innocent people, in this case Palestinians and Israelis, continue to lose their lives as a result. All right. One of the people that is is gaining a lot of notoriety during the past few weeks is a guy named Norman Finkelstein. And if you if you're paying attention to this situation, you'll recognize his voice as soon as I play this clip from him on the Candace Owens show. And basically, so Finkelstein, obviously he's Jewish with the last name Finkelstein, but he is a American political scientist and activist. His primary fields of research are the politics of the Holocaust and Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And so what makes him interesting is both of his parents are Holocaust survivors. But I mean, this dude, again, according to his, his thought process, he calls a spade a spade. But give this a listen. This will be the last thing I play today, and then I'll recap it. In 2006, our government, it was then President Bush, it was in that period, you might recall, what was called democracy promotion. And one of the uh, instances of democracy moment, promotion was he told the Palestinians to hold an election in the West Bank and Gaza. They hold an election. Hamas wins the election. Hamas comes to power. What's the first thing the United States does? What's the first thing Israel does? They impose sanctions on Gaza. Remember, quick chime in, sanctions on Gaza, not sanctions on the Palestinian Authority. Remember, they got 50 to $300 million in that same time period, 2005-2006. Brutal economic sanctions. A brutal blockade is imposed on Gaza in 2006. It means nobody can go into Gaza and nobody can leave Gaza. So again, just connecting the dots, 2005, they moved out 
8,000, 8,500 Israelis, and then they created, you know, tremendous sanctions, and then they created this blockade, and this is where the open-air prison concept started. But again, when you hear the talk about this saying, oh, well, Israel gave, gave the Palestinians Gaza in 2005, we withdrew everybody, Hopefully now you have a little bit better understanding what that means. That was only 8,500 8, people when there's 1.5 million, well, close to 2.5 million now that continue to be there. Israel controls the exit and the entry to Gaza. Israel controls the airspace. Israel controls the waterways. Israel controls everything. What goes in? There was a period when Israel denied chocolate, as in bonbons, couldn't, no, it's very serious, couldn't go into Gaza. Wouldn't allow baby chicks to go into Gaza. It wouldn't allow potato chips to go into Gaza. There was a period when Israel had an explicit policy of giving Gazans, it was calculated, a starvation plus diet, a diet that just hovered above starvation. It controls everything in Gaza. All right. When I heard that last part, the starvation plus diet, I was like, no way. There's no way that's true. So I Googled it. And here's an article from 11 years ago from The Guardian. Man, The Guardian does some serious reporting. It says Israel used calorie count to limit Gaza food during blockade. Critics claim defense ministry files on Avoiding civilian malnutrition are proof Israel used food restriction to hit Hamas, says news organization. All right, if you don't like The Guardian, here's Heretz from 2012. And by the way, Heretz is Israel's own newspaper organization. They're actually under fire recently because the government is mad at them for basically kind of reporting the way they're reporting. I'm actually surprised they've been allowed to do this, but they're big. They're a big news organization in Israel. So Haaretz exclusive, 2,279 calories per person. How Israel made sure Gaza didn't starve, comma, but limited the calorie intake of food they allowed into Gaza per person. So remember, this is all under Netanyahu's rule. And again, None of this is in the Palestinian Authority or the West Bank. This is all in Gaza. And so here, here's a third article. Here's the BBC from 2012, October 17th, 2012. Putting Palestinians on a diet. Israel's siege and blockade at Gaza. Limiting food intake for civilians living within Gaza. That's the BBC. I mean, there's like 50 more of these I can read, but I think you get the point. All right, guys, uh, this was an awesome episode, <laughs> if I don't say so myself, right? Again, let's piece, these, let's piece this together and find the truth. And that truth is, this is about governments. And, and gosh, you could even like, you can even fine tune it from big government to like certain people in government. And right now, my working theory is on the Palestinian side, Mahmoud Abbas and Benji Bibi Netanyahu. I think these guys are in this together. I really do. I'm going to 
I'm going to, I'm going to unravel that thread. All right. I hope this was not too confusing. I know it kind of was. If you have any questions, let me know. I'm going to take us out on a nice note. I put this on a, a video I had posted the other day on Facebook and Instagram. It's actually my favorite song. This is literally my favorite song. I just think it's a beautiful song. So I'm going to play you one minute of it and call a spade a spade. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The Salvation Army band played And the children drank lemonade And the morning lasted all day Listen, he said in winter 1963, felt like the world would freeze with John F. Kennedy and the Beatles. All right, I just had to end it. This episode was brought to you by Boost Liquid Vitamins. Wake up, take your boost, start your day. Drink your vitamins, build your immune system with Boost. Available on Boost.com.